This is the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast, a weekly show to help you prioritize your health, happiness, and well-being so that you can thrive in the classroom and in life. I'm your host, Ellen Ronalds Keane. Enjoy the podcast. Today's interview is with Katrina from Katrina Burke Coaching. Katrina was a classroom teacher. She spent 25 years in education and 12 of those years were as a deputy principal. She has also spent three decades in constant busyness, self-judgment, comparison and feeling never quite good enough. These days, however, she coaches caring professionals out of overwhelm and stress into balance and flow. Uh, Katrina has two master's degrees in leadership and well-being and she spent the last three years coaching people to achieve life-changing results. Fun fact, she also has two rabbits, two dogs and one cat, which I think is very cool because we can't have rabbits here in Queensland. There's a big fine. Um, This is a fantastic conversation. I really enjoyed it and um, you will be hearing more of Katrina on the podcast in the future. So in this episode, we talk about Katrina's own journey um, with her health and well-being in the education industry and um, she has some really fantastic and really relatable experiences I think too. Um, A lot of what she said really rang true for me. Katrina also talks about um, what she does now, how she helps people now and has some really fantastic health and well-being tips and tricks and so I highly recommend you Pick something from this episode that you go away and implement in your life. Find something that you think will work for you and implement it in your life. Um, You can find Katrina at katrinaburkecoaching.com.au. That is B-O-U-R-K-E for Burke. And uh, she also has a Facebook page that she's quite active on. If you just search Katrina Burke Coaching in Facebook, you'll be able to find her. Um, If you are a school leader and you are looking towards um, implementing wellness strategies for your staff next year in 2018, I highly recommend you get in touch with Katrina. She has some She has some fantastic programs, uh, including a Feeling Good and Functioning Well Staff Wellbeing Program, which is tailored for your school. Um, It's not a one-size-fits-all program. It's created with your school's goals and unique unique situation and culture in mind. Um, And also leadership coaching for, you know, deputy principals um, and also leadership coaching packages for um, school leaders, deputy principals, that sort of thing, to get clear on... uh, what you want to achieve and how to get there and learning to handle challenges and crucial conversations successfully. So highly recommend you get in touch with Katrina about those if you're interested. And just before we get to the interview, I wanted to remind you all that I have started a Patreon page for this podcast because podcasts are free to listen to, but they're not free to make. And so if you would like to donate to the Teacher Wellbeing podcast, you can go to patreon.com forward slash self-care for teachers. That's all one word. And you can donate as little as $2 a month and it will just help me um, keep the podcast going consistently and also hopefully over time improve you know, some of the sound and audio of the podcast. You will hear that there are some glitches um, in the audio 
uh, of this one because I made a bit of a mistake on my end when we were recording it, uh, but it's listenable. All right, without further ado, here is the interview with Katrina. Hello, Katrina. Welcome to the podcast. Great. Thank you, Alan. Thanks for inviting me today. Um, I'm based in Melbourne at the moment and um, originally, though, a country girl, which is where I began my teaching career. Um, And, you know, I'm shocked every time I say it, but that was nearly 25 years ago now. And I did what a lot of teachers did um, in that era. I, um, I graduated, I taught in the country. My first, my first um, class was a year three to year six class and I think I had about 30 children in that class. So I quickly learned what to do in that, in that first year or so. But then after a couple of years, I then I did what many did and went across to London and, and taught there for a few years um, before returning back to Australia and eventually finding my way here to Melbourne where I've Uh, I've rounded out my teaching career and moved on to something else. So as well as a classroom teacher, I spent probably the last 12 or so years of my career working in leadership as an assistant principal. So primary teaching? Yes, yeah, so I taught in, have always taught in primary schools and in the Catholic system predominantly, certainly in Australia, um, a whole mixed bag in London, of course. Yeah, so you've had a real range of experiences and I, and I know that you have learned a lot of lessons um, from that. One of the questions I always ask my podcast guests is about challenges they've experienced in their health and well-being, um, you know, as a result of or as a part of the, the teaching career that they've had. So, I'd be really interested if you could tell us about some of the challenges that you've had over the years, um, in particular with regards to your health and well-being and, ha- and how you've overcome them. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I, like I'm sure many of the people who are listening, I always had the attitude of um, soldiering on. I was the queen of soldiering on throughout my teaching career and, you know, and I include my, my leadership as part of that as well. And so, you know, it was like I had this thing about, you know, well, I'm, I'm not really sick enough today to stay home. I'll, I'll continue on. Um, I think that is so common. I think so too. Um, I hear that from a lot of teachers that I that I talk to. And so, you know, that, that has kind of been a theme right throughout my, my career. I, I've got to say that I have been lucky enough to never have any, I guess, um, what I would call a serious illness. Uh, however, towards the end of my before I resigned from teaching, I was diagnosed with anxiety and I began having panic attacks. And that was kind of one of the shocks that really made me start taking a look at this idea of soldiering on. And, you know, I believe that our body is it steps in for us. So for many years, I just kept going until I literally couldn't go anymore until, you know, I'd I'd get a migraine and I'd lose vision in an eye or I'd lose my balance or I'd lose my voice. That tended to be what would happen to me over the years. And I would always think, oh, it's just because I've spoken too much or I've got a cold or whatever. But, you know, in, in hindsight, I think it was a result of me not taking care of myself and pushing myself for as long as as I possibly could. Oh yeah, I, that really resonates with me because I've had um, similar experiences where I just wasn't listening to my body, and it might have been whispering and saying you need to slow down, 
and I just kept pushing and eventually the body says, hang on a minute, we're going to make you stop. You know, I'm going to give you something that you really can't ignore, like a panic attack or, as you said, losing your vision from a migraine. You really can't keep pushing in those moments and you have to stop. I agree. And, and again, it's um, I don't think it's a unique story to me. I think for many in teaching because, you know, there's always someone that we can feel is dependent on us. It might be our students, it might be our colleagues, our team members, and we, we have that, that sense of guilt of um, of letting others down if we're not there and, you know, become getting to the understanding that that's simply not the case, <laughs> um, you know, that, that makes a difference. And, you know, the bottom line is it's mostly in our heads, <laughs> you know, so which is which ultimately is a great thing because it means that we have control and choice to change that and to see it differently. Oh, you're so right. That guilt that sense of guilt that we feel when we, we perceive that we'll be letting other people down, whether or not that's the truth or not, uh, is really powerful. And it's not necessarily true. You know, it's it's something that we're telling ourselves, but we we can change that. Yeah, the guilt. The stories about how, you know, it, like I said to you before, my story of oh, I'm not really sick enough today, I could go for another day, or, you know, people will be resentful of me if I take a day off. They're the stories that we tell ourselves Yep. And I think as teachers, that's our thing. That's our jam that we, I think we're survivors. We survive the week or sometimes the day, <laughs> you know, or we survive the term. Yeah, just wait till holidays. That's right. You know, and I, we, we set those milestones, I'll wait till holidays. But then we get there and we, you know, it takes us three days of, you know, passed out on the couch before we're able to operate again. Yep, I've done that. I'm sure a lot of people listening have too. Um, and, you know, I think it's really important, again, that we we acknowledge that. That's what I want this podcast to do is to to kind of, and rather than normalise it and say that's the way it has to be, I, every term I have to collapse at the end of term on the couch for three days because there's no other way to do it, is to actually talk about the alternatives. So really... Um, you know, you've you've told us about some some of the symptoms that you're experiencing, like the like the panic attacks, which are very scary. Um, and I'd love to hear if you if you'd mind sharing how you overcame that, or you know what strategies you implemented to to treat that and to combat that. Mm, yeah, frightening um, panic attack. I knew nothing about that before, and what I did was I started to very slowly take back some control of my day and you know for those who've suffered from a panic attack this is the thing you have absolutely no control over what your body does it really does step in and and um and, and take over so what I did because you know we talked about stories in the head and I had the story in my head that I had no time and my you know that I had to get out of bed in the morning, get to work as quickly as I could, work as hard as I could all day, do as much as I could, do a little bit more when I got home and then collapse into bed. That's how I thought I needed to operate every day. And so, you know, to make changes to that, for me, they needed to be small. So I began with carving out just 10 minutes of time for myself in the morning and I would use do a meditation and the great value of that was what I began to learn was that taking 10 minutes for myself was not going to make chaos rain down upon my day. There was 10 minutes for me there. And, and as I stuck to that, 
I, what I also learned was that during the day, that would that benefit was ongoing. So there'd just be little pauses during the day where I still could enjoy the benefit of that meditation time that I had taken in the morning. So very slow steps was the answer to for me, Ellen. Mm. And you know what I like about that answer? Thank, thank you for, for sharing that because I like that that is – a, a very achievable thing that all of us could add to our day 10 minutes for ourselves in the morning whether it's to do some meditation whether it's to have you know 10 minutes just in the backyard listening to the birds whatever it is I think so often especially when we're feeling like there's too many things to do and there's not enough hours in the day and I, you know as you said the story is I have no time it's really easy to feel like there's not there's no possible solution other than stopping doing everything that I'm doing and and that's that's not going to happen so I can't fix it but actually what I love what you're saying because that's actually it's a small act but a daily act a habit that is not a quick fix it's not a silver bullet that you know will solve your whole life and all your problems by tomorrow but it is if you do it daily if you practice it if you keep implementing it it actually does make a difference. And it's not something, as you say, that's going to take heaps of time. There is 10 minutes. We can all find 10 minutes. Um, and some of us can can manage to find more if we really look at, you know, our Facebook habit or whatever. Um, but we can actually take back some of that control. It's not a quick fix, but it is, it's also not a huge extra task to add onto the already large to-do list. That's right. And I, I think, you know, that's really what I base everything that I do and teach now on is on what are some really small, simple, effective, but doable ways that I can look after myself during the day. And, you know, it might be meditation. It might be as simple as at lunchtime, close the door for five minutes and just have silence or just be still, you know, little things that if we are committed to them, we can find space for them in our day. And if we can stick with it, the benefits of that become really noticeable and, um, and you know, they make a difference. Such good tips. And, yeah, the close the door for five minutes at lunchtime totally resonates with me. Obviously, a lot of people don't have um, an, an office that is their own that they can close themselves into, you know, especially if they're in a shared staff room. Um, but what I, what I used to do, I had a I had a classroom that was mine. The music the music room was primarily uh, my classroom, uh, but it had big glass doors and windows. So when I wanted to just get five minutes of peace, I would actually lock myself in the the dark music storeroom. Um, which didn't have any windows and was literally a, like a cupboard um, because, because I knew nobody would look for me there and I could just spend a few minutes, uh, you know, just getting my head together, getting my thoughts together or, you know, calming down if I'd had a tough lesson with, you know, frustrating students or whatever it was, just that, that sort of sanctuary space for me. That's right. But then what did that do for you, Ellen, when you would walk out of there, what would be different? Oh, just was that sanctuary feeling. I think there was a sense of security for me knowing that I could always go in that room if I needed to. If I just needed to escape for five minutes, it was always there. And when I would come out, there was a sense of yeah, more control, I think is the word. But just changing tack 
a little bit. Uh, I'd really love it if you could tell us about what you do now, Katrina, because I know that you have made a shift away from uh, teaching and being an assistant principal, and now you actually work with teachers and and principals and and various types of leaders. Uh, could you tell us about what you do? Sure. My my work now is really a culmination of everything that I have learnt throughout my career as a as a teacher and a leader. You know, well being was always the common thread throughout my my learning. I was always very interested. You know, I was focused on students, of course, and that's where the professional learning was all, you know, was um, around student well-being. But it was always a passion for me. And having had the experience I had of, you know, those final couple of years before resigning of feeling, you know, so out of control and really getting to see the effects of cumulative stress and of um, always doing the effect that that had on my body, I then became interested in staff well-being and because I became I came to realize that it wasn't surely wasn't just me who was feeling like that I think we sometimes get stuck there thinking I'm not coping or you know what's wrong with me that I'm feeling stressed or I can't manage my workload but as I talked to others I learned there were plenty of people feeling like that so my work now is directed at helping people to learn what I've learned and what I wish I would have known years ago um and it works, I work in two ways. I work with individuals in one-to-one coaching, and that can be with teachers. Predominantly, it's with uh, maybe new leaders or assistant principals. That just seems to be who I attract, and I love doing that work with them. And that can be about those things like managing workload, managing stress, managing ourselves and and clawing back some balance for ourselves. And then the other component of my work is with whole staff and whole school. Again, it's around empowering the individual, helping us understand what is actually happening to me when I'm feeling overwhelmed or stressed at work and what are some of those simple, practical, proven ways that I can make a difference to myself and how I show up every day. Mm, empowering the individual I really like those I really like that phrase um and you know because it's it's actually the the philosophy behind self-care for teachers the reason that I started that was because you know for myself I realized that self-care was the only way I was going to survive uh because I, I couldn't control the outside world I can't you know fix the entire education system I can't change the structures in place in our society that that are impacting on our students and all of those things, I don't have control over that. So I just have to go back to me and what I can control, what's within my circle of influence. So I really like that that philosophy. I'm glad that you share that. I'm not surprised as a a coach as well, but I'm I'm glad that you share that. And, uh, yeah, I'd love it if you could share some of the the practical ways that we can make a difference, you know, some of the, the tips and tricks that you work with clients on to make a difference in their own lives? Sure. So one of the um, one of the things I think about and I talk about and I believe strongly in is exactly what you've just been saying about, you know, we have the power within us. So we can't control how the boss is going to show up, what sort of a mood they're going to show up in for the day. That You know, we can't control the stu- how the students are going to show up 
what's happened to them before they get to school. We can't control the traffic on our way to work. So there's all of this stuff around us that we really have little to no influence or control over. And and, and yet they are the things that can really trigger us and really, you know, cause overwhelming stress for us. So I like to look at us and what are the things that we can make a difference to. So a practical example that, that I use is when you wake up in the morning, you get to choose how do I want to show up today and just choose a word. Today I want to be patient or um, energetic or collaborative or whatever the word is that you want and then a little bit of thought about, well, what will that look like today and what will I sound like if I'm doing that? And then head into your day with that as your goal. So you're starting off in a proactive way. And like your idea of finding the storeroom, Ellen, you can check in as many times as you need to throughout the day and and ask yourself, how am I going with the word that I chose this morning. And I call it claiming the day. That's my strategy, claim the day. Choose how you want your day to be. And of course, you know, who knows what's going to go down during the day. Things will come up around you, but you can always come back to your centre and, you know, breathe and how am I going to? If I'm being energetic or patient, how will I show up in this situation? Claiming the day. I like that. I um. I often choose a theme word for the year, uh, but I really like that idea of choosing a theme word for the day. I, um, it's not quite the same thing, but I, I have a little mantra, I suppose, that I say to myself when I, if I'm driving and I see a particular number plate, like double numbers on number plates, and then it sort of prompts me to say the, um, say this little mantra to myself. And it's just a really nice little reminder to, yeah, it's like that check-in. That's exactly right. And actually, you raise a really great point there, Ellen, and you know, that in coaching, we call it anchoring the new habit that you want to create, anchor it to one that's already happening. So if you brush your teeth every morning, you could think about how you're claiming the day then something that you already do, just add this new thought into it. Yeah, uh, the other one that I like is to use your, you know, theme word or whatever as your password or as part of a password, you know, because we type those in many, many, many times a day. And it just every time you have to type that password, if it's got your reminder in there or your intention in there, uh, it it prompts you and it kind of cements that further into your brain. Yeah, terrific. I love it. I only heard of that recently, actually, that idea of using it as the password. I think that's great. So, yeah, it's a good one. Um, so I think it's important that we, you know, when we're talking about health and well-being and self-care and these topics that, you know, they mean different things to different people. So it's important that we define them. What does self-care mean for you? Yeah, so for me, it begins with self-awareness and I guess becoming an expert on ourselves and being really curious about ourselves. So not I think as, you know, I was going to say as teachers, but I think more and more all of society, we're fast, we're busy, and we can tend to focus on getting through stuff you know, get through my list today or get through whatever it is. And for me, the self-care comes from being able to pull that back a little and just being an observer of myself. How am I traveling today? Or I'm a bit cranky today. What's that about? Or, you know, my neck's a bit stiff. What's going on with me? And just being a curious observer of ourselves. And then, of course, being committed to taking an action or what can I do about that? So, you know, I think self-care is different for everyone and 
I think that's okay and that's a good thing. Um, but I, I do believe that all of it begins with firstly self-awareness. Yep. I'm, I'm nodding my head furiously here because um, self-awareness, I have a little acronym for, um, or it's more like an acrostic poem really for self-care, the letters of self-care. And um, the S is for self-awareness. And because I so agree with you, it is not one size fits all. What works for one person does not work for the other, for another person necessarily, or it doesn't work in the same way or what, um, you know, or what worked last year when you were in a totally different situation may not, may not be working for you anymore and you need to go back and rejig it. So, yeah, absolutely. It's different for everybody and we need to be checking in with ourselves and being aware of that and being, you know, curiously observing, as you said, so that we can work out what works for us. Well, that's right, exactly. And, you know, that's the, that's the thing about, um, I guess, you know, there's, there's a whole lot of teaching in the wellbeing space and, you know, mindfulness and meditation have become really popular. But I have some people I work with who cannot stand meditation. They really, it's more stressful for them than anything else. So for them, it's about finding, well, what what is it you need? If you need some time to slow down and be still, what's another way of you you finding that? And that's perfectly fine. Well, exactly. And because if it doesn't work for you, but you have a lot of people telling you that you should be doing it, it can actually, you know, whatever the activity is, um, can actually start to then feel like yet another thing that we have to add to our to-do list. It becomes a chore instead of helping us. That's right. And and um, that's right. And once we add a should to it, or I should meditate now, or I need to do my, um, I don't know, even yoga, I need to do yoga today. Once we add those words to it, we're adding another job to our to-do list. So some days the best self-care you can give yourself might be to go to bed and or have a nap on the couch. And, you know, that that is, and, it, and again, if it comes back to self-awareness, you're then making a choice. It's not that I'm coming and collapsing on the couch because I cannot do anything else, you know, and um, this is a, this is my job forcing me to do this. It's a choice. I'm tired and the best thing I can do for me right now is to have a nap. No more work tonight, just sleep. So I really do believe it's individualised and um, but, but the, the key is the awareness piece right at the beginning. Mm, absolutely absolutely um well Katrina so with all of that in mind what what would be your advice to early career teachers you know some some tips and some strategies including self-awareness that they could be applying to their own lives to set them up in their early careers of teaching for you know a healthy thriving career and healthy thriving life Mm. Well, you know, one of the things that I am so fortunate to do, Alan, is my work in schools. We know, we know that um, a one-off professional learning is not really the way to make long-lasting change happen. And, and I'm lucky that in the professional learning I do with schools, I get to come back again and again. Um, and so I've been able to work with some beginning teachers in their first year and then in their second and into their third year in some cases. So I'm actually learning from them as they're telling me what they've discovered and learned. And I can easily pick you a couple of things, powerful learning from them. Um, one that I, a lady I just worked with recently, actually, she, talk, she talked about coming to terms with the fact that you will never get through your to-do list. She said, I spent my whole first year working as hard as I could, as late as I possibly could, trying 
to get as much done as I could. And she said it's really not until the – it wasn't until term four that the penny dropped for her that she was exhausting herself and not really getting where she'd hoped to get anyway. So the tip I take out of that is – hear that message that you won't ever get through your to-do list and eventually the penny will drop about that. It's easy for me to say it, but eventually the penny will drop and then your step will be about, well, how do I prioritise or how do I create a cut-off time each day where I say, I have done enough today. Oh, that is such a good one. You will never get through the to-do list. There will always be more that you can do. Um, yep, that's that's really important and we we just have to accept it and prioritize the most important and the most urgent well not always the most urgent because they're not always important but the the important things and and sometimes that includes things that are not on your to-do list for school but actually for your health that's right that's right because those other pieces like sleep for example you know, how do we show up the next day as our best self or, you know, we we, we, um, we want to be a particular teacher. We want to give to our students and our school and our team. How do we do that if the tank is full because we're not filling it up? So, you know, definitely that permission to have a cutoff each day and set that early, you know. Today I'm taking this one thing home to do or I'm staying at work afterwards to do this one thing and that's it. Then I'm closing my laptop and I'm out of here. Mm, easier said than done. Uh, and I'm sure, you know, I'm sure there's people listening right now going, I can't do that, you know, I can't just turn off the laptop. But it's about, it's about reframing that thinking and realising that, you're, as you said, you're filling your tank so that you can turn up tomorrow and keep going. Yeah, exactly right. So, um, yes, I definitely recommend that. And some other things I've learned is another really important one, and this is really, I think, for all teachers, is to talk to others. You know, get a trusted colleague and talk to them about how things are going for you. It doesn't have to be a counselling or a therapy session, but just to connect because I hear from lots of teachers, you know, when I ask them about, you know, what's stopping them from doing something about the stress that they're under or how they're managing their workload, they tell me that they don't want to look like they're not coping or they don't want to look like they don't know what they're doing. Mm. Yeah, I, and I've heard that one too and, and experienced that myself because it, it does make you feel vulnerable to say, I need help or not even I need help but, you know, this just sucks a bit because like, you're not even saying I'm not coping. You, sometimes... All that's required is to say, I had a bad day, you know, <laughs> things did not go to plan. Um, and But it is, it is such a vulnerable thing to speak up about, especially when we're looking around the staff room and it looks like everybody else has got it under control. You know, I've had a, quite a number of conversations with teachers and not necessarily in their first or second year, but, you know, I remember one woman telling me that she felt like, she was the only one that was struggling with, with something. And, and I said, well, I really don't think that's the case, especially from, from the work that I do. And, the, and obviously the, the statistics out there about teacher burnout would suggest that it's not just you. If you're feeling like this, you're not the only one. But if we don't talk about it, um, you know, Brene Brown talks about the fact that shame, that sense of shame about anything breeds in silence and when we break the silence it takes a lot of vulnerability 
to own up and say, you know, I'm feeling this way about something. But that actually quite often is the most powerful thing we can do, but it's really scary. And yet it's really important because you don't know if you speaking up and saying, I'm struggling with this or this just sucks is also the thing that allows the the people next to you to open up. and, And that creates true, real connection and also hopefully true, real support exactly right Alan you know towards the end um, of my, my my last couple of years in in my leadership I you know when I started to have the panic attacks and uh, and, and and I myself was very vulnerable but I, I told that was one of the most powerful things that I did was I told a couple of people that I worked with and you know invariably when I shared that they were shocked and they said but you always look so calm and so organised and so well and so happy. And, you know, that that in itself was great feedback for me that I had been wearing this, you know, amazing mask. And the story in my head was, well, I'm, you know, I'm the assistant principal. I need to look like I've got it together. I should be able to be organised and capable. So I had all those shoulds in my head. Um, and I, you know, that wasn't modelling. And so sharing with others, the great thing about that was it actually opened a space for me to sometimes say, no, I'm sorry, no, I can't do that because I knew that the person that I was talking to would understand why I couldn't do that. Um, and you know what? They probably would have all along, but that was me releasing, giving myself permission to to say no. And of course, you know, we're caring people on the whole. And so those people would drop in and see me occasionally and say, How are you going? And so I don't I didn't need them to solve it for me. And we don't need these people to solve it for us, but just having someone listen to us and be connected is powerful, yes. Yeah, because solving it is not also empowering, you know, plus sometimes you just can't solve whatever it is and it is just a case of, of needing to be heard and needing to have the space held so that we can um, feel the feelings, whatever we're feeling, and and give ourselves permission to then take the action that we need to take, whatever that next step is. Um, when we build those real trusted relationships it's good for everybody involved and it actually makes us stronger you know that vulnerability makes us stronger not weaker yes that's right and you know well the research now around well-being and well-being at work is saying that far and above anything else relationships are the key to us feeling well at work so finding ways to connect with others in genuine ways um you know this is building our well-being and theirs and our connection as a whole and you know that as i said it doesn't solve our workload it is what it is but it helps us to be healthier in the face of that yeah yeah really good tips thank you katrina um just before we wrap up is there any are there any others on the top of your mind you'd like to share well, I've got I've got one for fun, um, which I learnt from a new teacher a couple of years ago who I worked with. The message is you do not need to laminate everything. <laughs> That's a good one. I don't know if that works the same in secondary school, but certainly my experience in primary schools, 
you know, of course we want to engage our students and all of those lovely things, but just before you put that next piece in the laminating pouch and send it through the machine, just ask yourself, does this really need to be laminated? Do I really need this? <laughs> and who knew? I discovered that recently. I didn't, I'm not a laminator, you see. I think I must come from – we didn't have laminating when I first started teaching. Um, but you can now have your own personal laminating machine. I discovered at Officeworks. So, yeah, it's fraught with danger. Officeworks itself is fraught with danger. <laughs> yeah, it is, but it – it is still one of my favourite places in the world, I'm just saying. But be- before we wax lyrical about the wonder and the danger of all stationary shops, um, as we wrap up, could you tell the listeners where to find you, Katrina? Because I know you have some cool resources and some interesting programs that I think people are going to want to check out. So tell us uh, where the listeners can connect with you. Yes, well, you can do that in all sorts of places. You can find me, I'm very active on Facebook if you look for Katrina Burke Coaching and um, it's a great way of interacting with me. I do some lives there as well and the other way, of course, of finding me is my website, katrinaburkecoaching.com.au and when if you go to my website, there'll be a pop-up which invites you to sign up for weekly wellbeing notes and I know a lot of teachers sign up for those. It's just really... I send out a digital post-it note each Sunday night to kind of set you up for the week ahead and give you a little challenge or a little prompt to think about. So you might like to do that. Um, yeah, I'd love you to I'd love people to say hi to me on social media or wherever it works for them. And um, I'm always interested in not only helping people in education, but le- I learn so much from working with people as well. So um, certainly encourage and invite people to do that. Beautiful. Oh, thank you so much, Katrina. This has been fantastic. I think listeners are going to get heaps out of it. So thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Thank you, Ellen. It was a joy. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast. If you've enjoyed it, go ahead and subscribe in your chosen podcast player so you don't miss an episode. I'd love it also if you would leave a rating and review in iTunes and share it with your friends. This really helps the podcast reach more people and together we can spread the message of teacher wellbeing to create thriving school communities. Show notes for this episode can be found at selfcareforteachers.com.au forward slash podcast. You can also find me at facebook.com forward slash selfcareforteachers and on Instagram my handle is at selfcareforteachers. So come along and follow me there. 